Chapter seven. Limping for Gabby's benefit had slowed me down, so as soon as she couldn't see me, I had to sprint hard to be on time for class. I busted through the door of the textile arts classroom just as the bell sounded. All the other kids must have ended their lunches early to get a head start on their work. They had already broken into their pace groups and were sewing, stitching, steaming, ironing, dyeing, felting, and or modeling clothes like time was money. It was one of the weird things I noticed on my first day at Coleco. The students arrived early. They stayed late. They hung out with teachers between periods to talk about what they'd covered in class. Basically, they liked school. I liked how much I, they liked it. For once, I wasn't a freak for liking school. Another weird thing was how many boys there were in textile arts. For me, this was a required course for my future career as a famous illusionist. Magicians need costume, custom costumes for their tricks and to look cool while performing. Back in Connecticut, I probably would have been the only boy in a sewing class, if they'd even offered one, and I probably would have gotten into a fistfight every day because of it. But at Kaleko, Kaleku, I don't know, there were all, almost as many boys as girls studying textile arts. A lot of things were so much easier here. The textile arts teacher was Dr. Dr. Pants. That wasn't his real name, Dr. Dr. Pants' Cosplay Carnival was the name of his mask and masquerade shop on Etsy. So that's what everyone called him. He always wore one of his costumes to class. Today, he was dressed up as a six foot tall bubblegum machine. The clear plastic dome he was wearing over his head held real gumballs up to his nose. The pile of gumballs didn't muffle his voice, but it did shift as he spoke. Right on time, Sal, he said loud and clear, but time's a wasting, time to get. And to emphasize the dad joke, he dropped a coin into his costume's head, spun the key, caught the Venus-colored piece of gum that rolled out of the chute, and tossed it to me on the ball. I gave Dr. Dr. Pants a wink and twin finger guns that meant, good one, dude. Then I popped the gum into my mouth and made my way to my pace group, knitting for beginners. It was the most basic pace group in the class, which was fine with me. I'd never taken textile arts before because Connecticut. I had a lot to learn. The other five kids in my pace group were laughing and working already, so I gathered up my knitting needles and yarn from yesterday. Dr. Dr. Pants had already laid them out for me. Sat cross-legged on the floor and got down to business. I'd only been knitting for three days, but I liked it. There's a little part of my brain that enjoys doing a small task perfectly, and knitting is basically doing a small task perfectly 10,000 times in a row. It was, I was working on a red scarf, just about the last piece of clothing you'd ever need in Florida, but it was already giving me an idea for a new magic trick, where I'd hand the mark a scarf and let them unravel it entirely, until they were left holding a, ball of, a big ball of yarn. Then, presto changeo, I would turn it back into a knitted scarf right before their eyes. But how? When you're making up a new magic trick, you have to figure out all the tiny details of how to make it work. Magic is basically doing a small task perfectly. For this trick, I was thinking I'd need a mirror box, a classic magic prop about the size of a cat carrier. It looks like an empty box, and there's even a window to let people see inside. But a mirror creates a seemingly invisible compartment the magician can hide things in. For my trick, I would put one scarf behind the mirror, and as the mark unraveled the other scarf, I'd stuff that yarn into the top of the box. The whole audience would be able to see the string the whole time through the window. Then I would reach up through the bottom of the box and slowly start to draw out the yarn, except it would appear to be re-knitted into a scarf. 
I'd have to pull out the unraveled yarn and the second scarf at the same time, and then palm the yarn and slip it in a pocket. Wait, no, that'd be way too much yarn to hide in my hand. Maybe I could disguise the string in the scarf itself? That would be the most natural thing to do, since I'd be pulling both of them out at the same time. But the trick would work best if I could give the scarf back to the mark and let them inspect it, and I couldn't do that if the yarn was hidden in it. I'd have to think about that some more, and it would have, and I would have it right then. It, and I would have right then if I hadn't noticed that no one around me was talking. The first two days of class, my pace group had spent the whole class chatting. They'd talked so much, I had trouble concentrating on knitting. But everyone was nice and funny, and time flew by, so it was all good. Today, all the other groups sounded like they were having a great time, but mine? Silence. Everyone was sitting cross-legged on the floor like I was, knitting away and working hard, and having, by the looks on their faces, zero fun doing it. Hmm. Hey, I said to Gladys Machado, the girl sitting next to me. She'd been the funniest person in the pace group so far. You're doing really good. You're almost halfway done with your scarf. Gladys never looked up at me. Thank you, she muttered. And then, holding her needles in one hand, she pulled an Ojo Turco necklace out from behind her t-shirt and gave it a squeeze. An Ojo Turco is a piece of blue glass with a blue eyeball painted on it. People wear them on necklaces and bracelets to protect them against the evil eye. Mommy had one. Man, she was terrified of Malde Ojo. She'd tell me stories about how Brujo could make you sick. Make your cows give blood instead of milk. Turn your hair white. Make your teeth fall out of your mouth. Age you 50 years in five seconds. All sorts of stuff. Pappy, didn't, who didn't believe in any of that, would wait until Mommy left the room to tell me that her stories were just superstitions. And then, when he left the room, she'd come back and tell me it was all 100% real. And, I mean, Mommy's Ojo Turco saved her life and mine when we were in our car accident, but that's a story for another time. Right then, I was busy noticing that Gladys was clutching her ojo turco just like Mammy would when, whenever she needed a little extra protection against whatever curses life wanted to throw at her. Suddenly, the kids who had gotten out of my way on the second floor hallway and stared at me googly-eyed as I ran past made a lot more sense. Rumors had been spreading that I'd done black magic. I pictured the horror that would have distorted my Mammy Martha's face if she'd thought for one second that I was a brujo. I needed to fix this stat. What? I said to Gladys, laughing a little. You think I just gave you mal de ojo? She gasped as if I had just accused her of committing murder in the ballroom with the candlestick. How do you know about mal de ojo? That made no sense, and I let my face show it. How could I do mal de ojo on you if I didn't know what it was? No, I mean, I thought you would call it the evil eye. Aren't you American? I blinked. Um, yeah, but my parents are Cuban, which is mostly true. Both my biological parents are. Oh, Gladys said, as if she didn't want to say any more. Nice and slow, and not at all angrily, because I don't get angry, I asked her once again. So why do you think I gave you mal de ojo? Gladys didn't look up from her knitting, but she was purling like there was no tomorrow. Because, Sal, said Juan Carlos Chaviano, Gladys's best friend. I'd gotten to know him a little over the, the past few days. Nice guy. He'd come to Coeco to study songwriting and was already three-quarters of the way to becoming the next Latin pop star. No matter what he said, he beamed at you like you were a camera and that was like you were a camera that was broadcasting his smile to a million to millions of fans. I smiled back at him. Because why, Juan Carlos? 
because he said with gleam with a gleam a gleaming teeth last you sacrificed a chicken in Yasmani's locker. What else is she supposed to think? You're a brujo, chacho. Welp, worst case scenario confirmed. I didn't sacrifice a chicken, I said to Juan Carlos. It was a magic trick. Juan Carlos shrugged, which meant, sorry man, nothing I can do for you. I felt my neck getting hot. Anyway, there's no such thing as brujos. Gladys shook her head. She stopped knitting long enough to stare at me in the ojo when she said, can't fool me. She looked a little scared and a little defiant and a lot like she wished she could send me to the center of the earth with her eyes. It had been a long time since I'd been around anyone that superstitious. I'm pretty sure the last time it was Mammy. It kind of stunned me. So I kept my head down for the rest of the class. I needed time to think. Seventh period was my PE class. Only at Kuleko, they didn't call it PE or phys ed or gym. They call it health science and the practice of wellness. I guess the fancy name was to help make dodgeball sound like something smart people did. The class was held in the multi-purpose room on the, floor, on the second floor. It didn't look like a gym. It was bigger than average with a tall ceiling and a hard, mean rug the color of sandpaper. At the start of class, everyone had to help lay big padded mats on the floor. And five minutes before class ended, we had to gather them up lean them against a wall, and spray them down with nose-burning sanitizer, probably the same stuff Mr. Milagros used to melt dead bodies. Kuleka was an art school. Phys ed wasn't exactly the highest priority. You didn't even have to change into gym clothes if you didn't want to. It definitely smelled like a gym, though, like socks made of cheese, and all the san sanitizer spray did was add a blue toilet liquid stench on top of the cheese socks. But if there was one thing in the multi-purpose room that made it feel like a real gym, it was the rock climbing wall. It stretched from floor to ceiling and was separated into green, yellow, and red zones, depending on how good a climber you were. So far in class, a lot of people had slammed the victory button at the top of the green part, which made a siren howl and a red light spin. A few people had reached yellow and more sirens and lights, but no one had reached the top of red. That's where I was going. I was getting to the top today. After my first two days of being defeated by the red zone, I had come up with a plan. The glory of making it all the way would be mine. And between Yasmani, Gabby, and the worrisome developments in textile arts, I could really use a little glory. But as I headed to get in line for my turn on the, on the climbing wall, Mr. Lenot stopped me, intercepted me. He looked like a brolic manatee wearing gym clothes, small head, big chest, and tiny from the waist down. He spread his arms and legs as wide as he could to block me. Um, Sal, he said, maybe it's not such a good idea, you climbing. Maybe you should join the yoga pace group. I was pretty sure of what was coming. I reminded myself that I do not get angry and played it straight. Why? You know, because of your, he leaned in to whisper, condition? Oh, Principal Torres must have had a talk with Mr. Lenot. On the first day, he'd spent all class busting my chops, and yesterday he'd sent me to the principal's office for eating Skittles. But now, after Principal Torres let him have it, I guessed instead of acting like a drill sergeant, he was going to act like a chicken coleco for its only egg. I did. I actually did want to join the yoga pace group eventually. Magicians need to be extremely flexible if they're going to escape from straitjackets and stuff. And after banging my knee on the stairs earlier, maybe climbing wasn't the best idea today. But the way Mr. Lenot whispered condition to me, yeah, I didn't have time for a caca psycho like that in my life. 
So I made my eyes really big and asked, Mr. Lenat, you're denying me equal access to school activities based on my disability, are you? Mr. Lenat was a white dude. I mean, white hair, white nose hair, white eyebrows, white Stonehenge teeth, white gym clothes, white sneakers, and a metal whistle hanging from a white string around his neck. This white dude's skin went from white to red as fast as a squid camouflaging itself. What? No, I would never do that. It's illegal to deny you access to all the same equipment as normal kids. I had practiced looking like I was about to cry in front of a mirror for moments just like this. You mean I'm not a normal kid, Mr. Lenot? His face collapsed like a condemned building. What? No, that's not what I meant. You can do anything anyone else can. You're perfectly normal in your own unique way. And then trying to pretend he could still pull off the drill sergeant routine, he added, Now, um, get on that wall and show me what you've got, Vidon. Yes, sir, I saluted and headed for the wall. Kids had lined up for the green and yellow zones, but it looked like everyone was sick of falling off the red zone. No line, no wait. I belted myself into the climbing harness. Only when I was completely strapped in did I remember that I needed, needed someone to spot me. The harness was attached to a rope, which ran through a pulley on the ceiling about 20 feet up, and whoever was holding on the other end of the rope would keep you from falling to your death when you slipped off the climbing wall. Okay, well, there was an extra thick pad at the bottom of the wall that probably would keep you from dying, but still. I admit, I was afraid to ask anyone to spot me. The kids in the hallway had stared at me, and the way... The way the kids in the hallway had stared at me and the way Gladys had petted her ojo turco had me freaked out. And what if no one at Coleco wanted to spot a brujo? What you waiting for, Vidon? said Mr. Lenop from behind me. Then I did turn around. He had the rope tightly grasped in both hands. He was going to spot me. Relief felt like cool water running down my back. Nothing at all, I said, and made for the wall. You can do anything, Mr. Lenot cheered. Diabetics are number one. Well, he was trying. I started to climb. The lower part of the red zone is only a little harder than the other zones. It was just missing a few footholds compared to green and yellow. I made it halfway up the wall in no time. The first tricky spot was where I'd fallen on the first day. You had to turn yourself upside down against the wall, like a cockroach changing directions. While upside down, you had to latch onto the two footholds above you with your feet. And then, this was the hard part, you had to bend your knees and arc your spine all the way back like you were trying to stick your head up your own butt. You had to grab the single handhold above your feet and while holding on for dear life, flip right side up again and put your feet back into the footholds. On the first day of school, I hadn't been able to make the flip. Yesterday, though, I'd managed to pull it off. When I did, the whole class broke into applause and everybody had stopped what they were doing to see if I'd make it to the top. But I'd fallen almost immediately. Feeling lightheaded, I'd peeled off the wall. That's when I had some Skittles to level my blood sugar, and Mr. Lenot had sent me to the principals. Hadn't done a good job of eating today, either. Really had to take care of that soon. The thing is, I probably would have fallen yesterday anyway, because the next part of the wall is real killer. There's only one hold to reach for, and it's more than five feet higher up. The only way to get there is to jump for it, which is stupid. The chance of you being able to jump high enough, slap at the wall, and grab the hold tight enough to support your entire body weight is practically zip. And even if you did manage to do all that, you still had to pull yourself up with one arm high enough to slap the victory button with the other hand. Complete and total caca seca. So last night over dinner, I told my padres about the climbing wall, showed them a picture I took and everything. 
The conversation got serious fast. My poppy's a physicist, so he got out paper and pencil and protractor and asked me to sketch the wall. After I did, he drew some lines and did some math that might as well have been magic formulas. By the time he was done working his magic, he was pretty sure that the wall had been designed to be impossible to conquer. That made him angry. Are they trying to discourage children? What's the point of putting up a wall that's impossible to climb? Well then, said American stepmom, Sal will just have to do the impossible. Yeah, I said, I'll just cheat. Poppy swallowed his lips and held up his index finger. Um, are you allowed to cheat? Yes, American stepmom and I yelled at the same time, then we high-fived. So, as a family, we came up with a way to get to the top of the red zone. Now, as I stood on the two footholds having already made the flip and looking up at the ridiculous jump I had to make, I pulled my secret weapon from a vest pocket, a plastic six-pack ring. Being extra sure I was balanced, I slipped my wrist through two holes on opposite sides and got ready to jump. The idea was that I could catch the hold with the six-pack ring. I figured it could support my weight for at least a few seconds, one of the benefits of being on the smaller side, and buy me a few inches of reach as I jumped. It would also allow me to use the strength of both arms to pull me up instead of just one. Then I could quickly free a hand and slap the victory button. And best of all, maybe the kids on the ground wouldn't be able to see the clear plastic ring and couldn't tell. And I could tell them I did it with magic. Which, I suddenly realized, seemed like a much better idea last night than it did today, before Gladys and Juan Carlos, who knew how many other, and who knew how many other kids, thought I was a brujo. I didn't look over my shoulder. I didn't have to. No one had applauded me for getting this far today, but I knew they were watching. If I made it to the top of the impossible red zone, my rep would be permanent. I would be a brujo forever. Change of plan. I tucked the six-pack ring back into my pocket. A different kind of trick was called for today. I leaped for the handhold above me, hard as I could, slapped at the wall, stretched my fingers as far as they would go, and didn't even get close. I fell. Well, technically, I just swung in the air. I, I sagged in the harness like a depressed lobster, then punched my palm in fake anger. So close, I spat out as Mr. Lenot carefully lowered me down. Not even, said Octavio uh, Murillo. I didn't know what his specialty at Calico was. If I had to guess, I'd say he was studying being really freaking tall for his age. He was next in line for the red zone. Yes, I was, I retorted as my feet touched the ground. Retorting is what you do instead of replying when you know you're wrong. He shook his head and, and he shook his head sad for me. Next time, you better use your magic broom, Mago. Mago was interesting. He called me a magic user, but he didn't say it like it scared him any. It was more like the way everybody makes fun of everybody in middle school. Just hit them where they're weak. It was even kind of friendly in a way. So I unclasped the buckle on the harness, walked up to Octavio, and got under his nose and said, Mago, huh? Want to see a magic trick? Sure, he said. I can make a bird appear out of thin air, I said. People in the green and yellow zone lines were watching, so I had to make it good. I started waving my hands around mysteriously, nothing in my right hand. I showed Octavio, and nothing in my left. Then, after three great flourishes, I materialized from behind my hand, my middle finger. Tweet, tweet, I said. Octavio laughed, right along with everybody waiting in the lines. He could take a joke. Good to know some kids at Coleco could. But I'd forgotten Mr. Lenat was right there. He blew his whistle. Personal foul, Vidon. You're going. Then he faltered. I think he was going to finish that sentence with straight to the principal's office. He caught me red-handed or fingered or whatever. I had definitely just earned myself another heart-to-heart -heart with Principal Torres. Not good at all. 
but instead of a one-way ticket to detentionville, Mr. Lenot said, you're going um, places, Sal. You're going places, because being a diabetic will never get in the way of your dreams. The bell rang as we headed for our next classes. Octavio, walking beside me, said, dude, I think you broke Lenot. What the seco was he talking about? My first impulse was to talk smack about Mr. Lenot, be funny, make Octavio laugh, and therefore like me. But half a second's pause, and I knew that's not how you treat people, especially not people who are trying to do better. And that's all right, I said. He's just never tangled with a mago before. <laughs>